some of you are still on your phones trying to figure it out, selecting the filter. I saw lots of people north of 50 years old taking selfies there. Well done. Uh, in 2013, selfie was the Oxford Dictionary Word of the Year. Simply put, a selfie is a photo you take of yourself, okay? A photo you take of yourself, and they're so popular. Uh, as Americans, we take 93 million selfies per day. 93 million. It's estimated that young adults will take 25,000 pictures of themselves before they die. Statistics show that teenagers spend 7 to 12 hours a day of media intake. Computers, cell phones, TV, etc. Um, I'm almost 37 years old, and when I grew up, uh, I knew how to ring a doorbell. Okay, in high school we had a lot of practice with this. We called it doorbell ditching. We bring someone's doorbell, then run away and hide, and then they answer, and no one's there. So fun. Okay, use your index finger whenever you do a doorbell. Uh, but if you are under 20 years old, the latest studies show that you do not use your index finger. Rather, you use your thumb to ring the doorbell. The thumb has become the dominant finger of this younger generation because of the phone, the smartphone. Technology has actually rewired an entire generation. You don't ring a doorbell like this. You ring it like this. Can I get an amen, right? We gotta draw the line somewhere. This is way too much. Use that pointer finger. The rewiring doesn't just stop um, at which phalange you use to ring a doorbell, but social media and the cell phone has permeated our lives and it's not going anywhere. This sermon series, Death to Selfie, is not a sermon series about cell phones, selfies, social media at all, but rather it's about identity. But it's impossible to wrestle through this concept of identity without addressing the cellophane in the room, okay? I thought of that all by myself. I felt good about it. <laughs> the elephant in the room. We have to wade through the waters of our virtual identity and longings to live out our true identity in Christ. But first, let's have some fun with it. Um, here are some of the embarrassing Facebook posts of some of the 500 million people who have posted just this past year. First one, someone told me you can buy stuff on the internet by putting your credit card in the CD slot. Is that true? Totally works. Try it out. Seriously? It making noises. Okay. I hate Hippocrates. Hypocrites. Hashtag goodnight square. You hate the father of Western medicine, Hippocrates? I like that one. How many of you guys are like the cell phone corrector? Like someone texts you and they put the apostrophe in the wrong part in your wrong part of your, and they're like, it's apostrophe R-E, by the way. Okay, I hate you. Um, <laughs> Here we go. You're going to love this one, though. So much for calling me, Dad. Let down once again. Who wants to call you Dad? No one. My dad said he was going to call me, but he didn't. Then the correct way to say it is, so much for calling me, Dad. Ha, huh. who cares? Not your dad, obviously. <laughs> the title of our sermon this morning is The Selfie, The Self, and The Cell. The selfie, the self, and the cell. And we are a culture attached to the cell phones. When I was in high school, if you had a pager, you were awesome. We didn't call them pagers. They were beepers. And when you'd get a page, you'd go to that payphone and call that number. 
I'm sorry, uh, there are people under 30 here. A payphone is a lot like a cell phone, but there's cords attached to it, and you put quarters in and dial the number. Times have changed. I'm addicted to this phone. When I leave the house and I forget it, I don't know what to do with myself. I, I, I feel naked, abandoned, I feel alone. Here are uh, five signs that you might be addicted to your cell phone and see if you can find yourself in any of these. Number one, you sleep with your cell phone on your nightstand or on your bed. Number two, your friends or your spouse complain about how much you're on the phone. Number three, you check your phone first thing in the morning and the last thing before you go to bed. Number four, you feel bummed when you forget to bring your phone into the bathroom with you. <laughs> if you're laughing, that's you. Number five, you have secretly mastered the art of texting while keeping eye contact with the person in front of you that you're trying to talk with. Guilty. It's a weird thing with technology. We think we're using it, but it's actually using us. Here's some of the dangers. Number one on your notes is this. Selfies and social media can make life all about me. The statistics are out. Our phones and the media that we consume with them, it's changing our brains. And Paul cautions us. Romans 12, 3 says this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In just this small, tiny little verse, Paul uses the Greek word to think, phroneo, four different times. Uh, phroneo. Uh, he says hyperphroneo, where he adds the prefix in front of it, which is over, beyond, more, hyper. And it means to think more highly than you ought to. And social media feeds this. Uh, each like we get, oh, makes makes my identity grow and my self-esteem get more people like me. When everyone likes our posts, we gain value from it. We begin to think more highly than we should. Hyperphroneo. Paul says we shouldn't be think so highly of ourselves. Hyperphroneo. Rather, we should be so phroneo, which is soberly, boundaries, safely, thinking realistically about ourselves. Don't think too highly of yourself. And this is a danger for us, and it was a danger for the ancient world as well. There was a, a Greek mythological hero named Narcissus. Uh, here's an artist's rendering of it. And he was blessed by the gods with supernatural good looks. All the women of the world adored him, but he never returned their love. And over time, the maidens grew angry because Narcissus uh, would never be attracted to them. And the gods listened to the maidens. And deep in the woods, they created a, a, a pool of pure silver water. And one day Narcissus stumbled across this pool and going to, to fetch water from a, a long day of hunting, leaning over to drink, he saw his own reflection in the silver pool. As he gazed at those bright eyes, beautiful hair, better than Stephen Rutledge's hair, <laughs> he was enamored and he, he thought it must have been a water spirit. But when he leaned forward to kiss the face, it fled away. Moments later, it would come back, and he was once again enamored. Uh, he was so taken by the image in the water that he lost all sense of hunger and rest. 
Soon Narcissus began to starve, but the, the pain of hunger could, could not overpower the stunning beauty in which he found himself. Eventually he withered away and died. And the traditional interpretation of this story is that Narcissus fell in love with himself. It was the Greek warning against excessive self-love. Sigmund Freud later derived the term narcissism from this myth as a way of describing the neurosis of extreme selfishness or self-interest. Some of you loves you some self, okay? I know this because I'm friends with you on Facebook. Now, you may not stare at yourself in the mirror longer than you should, but there are other ways that selfishness and narcissism creeps up into our lives. Facebook and Instagrams are catalysts of self-love. And if we're caught up in love of self, then we're not caught up in love of God and love of neighbor. Jesus offers a better way. Focus in on loving God and loving people. That would be a great slogan for a church. Love God, love people. I don't post all that often on social media. My wife has, doesn't have Facebook or Instagram. And so I don't post a ton of photos of my kids. I would like to more, um, but my wife's just like, nah. And so we instead text them, text pictures of our kids to family and friends. And uh, my son Dex just started preschool. And we were excited because he is so smart. Like, I know that every parent thinks their kid is so smart. Ours really is, okay? <laughs> At one and a half, dude knew the alphabet. He can count to over a hundred. He's brilliant. He was so excited about his first day of preschool, he got a brand new Peanuts backpack. Peanuts, like Charlie Brown, Snoopy, you have to really enunciate that T in Peanuts backpack because sometimes he doesn't and we get some strange looks. We picked him up from his first day of school and we were so excited. And the teacher's first words to us were, today was a very challenging day. And we're like, oh no, oh no. Now, he was running around the classroom, opening drawers, running outside, not listening. Now, he's been at boot camp at home ever since that first day. But that day, I came home from work just to yell at him. He was crying, Sarah was crying, I was crying. Now, he's a good boy, and uh, I love him more than life itself, but all you guys see is him at church. Oh, he came up and he read a Bible story. Oh, he's so wonderful. He's a perfect pastor's child. You think when he doesn't get something he wants that he just goes up to me and says, okay, dad, and then like quotes the Bible to me? <laughs> doesn't happen. Now, did I, that day, did I take a selfie of Sarah Dex and I crying and send it to family and friends? No, no, I sent him this one, okay? Uh, <laughs> and I hashtag first day of preschool, hashtag daddy's angel, okay? More often than not, it's not the things that we post that are destructive for us. It's the posts uh, that the Joneses across the street are posting. We feel bad about ourselves because we're looking at the highlight reel of the family across the street. Number two on your notes is this. Don't compare your actual inside to someone else's virtual outside. Some of you need to hear that and let it seep in deep. Don't compare your actual inside to someone else's virtual outside. We display perfectly edited photos, but it's just not reality. Social media is not real. It's a Photoshopped version of ourselves. 
we end up comparing our real lives with their Instagram life. And it becomes a breeding ground of envy for our souls. Proverbs says this, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. First Peter, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. First Corinthians, the famous love passage, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not envy. Envy is a sneaky little sin, but it messes with your soul. Some of us are, are caught up in envy online. And whether you realize it or not, it makes you less pleasant to be around. Because the Joneses are so good looking and have nicer everything than you, I'm going to allow that to affect my mood and affect my soul. And I really feel like there's someone in this room that envy of others, envy of others online, looking at what they post, has moved you to envy, but then the envy has transformed into depression. And you are depressed that you are not like these Photoshopped versions of other people. And God wants to heal you with that this morning. Why, when we see a photo online of a good-looking person, maybe at a nice restaurant or something, we never think, oh, good for her. We don't do that. That's not our response. Social media breeds envy and judgmentalism. I'm scrolling through my feed, and I'm envying and judging every person, and it's not Christ-like. Uh, I read a story about little Bobby who was um, on the playground at recess, and he was picking on the other kids. One of his favorite ways of taunting other kids was uh, making faces at them, just mm, behind the teacher's back, mm, doing every kind of different face he could to humiliate the kids around him. And Mrs. Zimmer, his teacher, was in charge of supervising recess, and she saw little Bobby doing this, and she said, you know, Bobby, when I was a little girl, I was told that if I made ugly faces, my face would freeze and stay like that. And Bobby looked up to her and replied, well, Miss Zimmer, you can't say you weren't warned. <laughs> we judge. You're scrolling through. Why would you someone post that? Why would you vote for him? She's a progressive liberal. He's a, he's a closed-minded conservative. And I don't care about the pasta you had at dinner that had a little bit of oregano around the edges. You're so fancy. I don't care. We don't realize, but all of our scrolling instantly becomes trolling, right? Our scrolling becomes trolling. Technology can pave a way for, for sin and temptation. There's all kinds of stuff on social media that shouldn't be there. Things that are immodest, things that are very inappropriate. Um, and you might be saying immediately, like, well, I don't post stuff like that. I don't post that. But you read it. <laughs> You're scrolling through your phone and you're like, oh, that is, that's just wrong. Somebody ought to scroll through that again. <laughs> For some of us, we know our temptations and our dark inclinations. We should guard our minds. And in speaking about sexual temptation, Solomon says this in Proverbs, now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house. Solomon tells us that if you struggle with fidelity, don't even go down the street that the other girl lives on. So if you struggle with judgmentalism, 
social media can feed that. If you struggle with lust, social media can feed that. If you struggle with envy and jealousy, social media and our phones, man, it can feed that. The gospel moves us away from a virtual life and into a real life. Out of a virtual life into a real life. Can't tell you how many people that I've run into over the years who I went to high school with them, I'm at the gym or whatever. It's a long time ago, obviously. <laughs> when I used to work out, uh, I, I would run into someone and I'm like, oh, hey, do you still hang out with so-and-so? And they're like, Facebook. And I go, oh, okay. Um, are you gonna go to, uh, you know, uh, the reunion coming up or whatever? And they're like, no, I see everybody I wanna know on Facebook. And I'm like, cool. I guess I, I'll see you online, I guess. If we only relate to people online, are we re ever really relating to anybody? It has been and always will be about face-to-face -face relationships in the messiness of life. God didn't just send a book of information about himself. He sent himself. We believe in the incarnate, infallible word of God, and his name is Jesus. God didn't send photos of himself. He didn't describe what he was like. He showed us what he was like, flesh and blood. He met us where we are. John 1.1 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the word and the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, the glory of the father, his one and only son. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Greek word for technology, we get it from two different Greek words. One, first word is tecton. Tecton was a carpenter. And it was the, what Jesus' career was, a carpenter or a craftsman, tecton. Simple. And the second word is logos, which means word. So when John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, it's the Greek word logos. Tecton, logos, technology. Whether we know it or not, our usage of technology proclaims the lordship of Jesus. Does your usage of technology, does your usage of your cell phone proclaim the lordship of Jesus in your life? We gotta use it for greater engagement with the real world, not the virtual world. Number three in your notes is this. Focus on your real life, not your online life. Focus on your real life, not your online life. Some of us, we just spend way too much time, way too much time on the internet, way too much time online. Burger King had a promotion a few years ago and actually went on Facebook um, and did this promotion where they offered people a free Whopper if they unfriended 10 people. They unfriended 10 people on Facebook. And after 10 days, they had to shut down the offer because a quarter million people had been unfriended. They found out how much a Facebook friend was actually worth. 37 cents, 37 cents. So where do we go from here? What are some practical ramifications? Maybe there's some practical applications for us this week with the selfie, the self, and the cell. Number one, maybe unplug for a day, turn it off. Do whatever you gotta do to make sure that the people who need to get a hold of you, um, you know, for emergency, that's all covered, but unplug, turn it off, for one full day. 
take the necessary steps to unplug. And maybe the Lord might be calling you to that this week. Maybe you're even more courageous than that. This week, uh, when you go to the bathroom, I'm not gonna bring this with me, okay? What a courageous step of faith that would be. Maybe it's, I'm not gonna put this on the nightstand before I go to sleep. I'm not gonna let this get the last word. What if we, what if the first word of the morning and the last word at day was not Facebook, but God's book? What would that do to us? Would it lower envy in our lives and jealousy and bring about more joy, more peace? At, at the very least, let's make the commitment that when you're with people, you're looking right at them. That's someone that you get to love. That's someone that God loves. I want to invite Stephen in the worship band to come up. I read an article this week written by a mom of two kids. And she decided to do an experiment. For 30 minutes, she was going to be in the same room as her kids, two young children, and let them play with, and and she said, I wasn't going to look at my phone. And she was just going to watch and observe them. She wanted, she got this pen and paper, and she wanted to note every time they looked at her to see if she was looking at them. So she did this for 30 minutes, and every time they looked at her, she would make a little mark. And at the end, she counted it. In 30 minutes, her kids looked at her to see if she was looking back 28 times, almost once every single minute. She wrote about what would happen if she had not done this. 28 times, my angels would have wondered if the World Wide Web was more important than them. 28 times, my boys would not have received the attention and affection that they were longing for from their mom. Then at the end of the article, she wrote, please send this to all your friends on Facebook. (laughs) Kind of defeats the purpose, right? (laughs) Hippocrates. Jesus shows us a better way. He showed up in person. How can you show up in person this week? Is there that friend in line online that you, man, I should probably email them. What if it was, hey, we should go get a drink. Hey, we should go grab coffee. Hey, I, I need to call him. I'm, I'm gonna call him this week. They shot me an email on my birthday and I said, thanks for all the birthday wishes to everybody. But you know what? I'm gonna actually call this person just encourage him. Hey man, I, I value our friendship. I love you. How can I, how can I pray for you, man? What's going on in your life? I, I, I just love you, dude. I miss you. I connected this past week with a friend in Florida. Um, and I connected two weeks after the hurricane went through his town. Two weeks. And I go, hey man, a little late. You okay? And he's like, yeah, dude, we, we boarded up. We're good. And we started talking. He's like, yeah, man, my wife filed papers a few months back. I go, dude, I'm sorry, man. Life's messy. He's like, no, I'm good. And we talked for like 30 minutes. Jesus always brings us out of the virtual and into the real life. There are loved ones close to you, sitting next to you, that you only text. Text doesn't show our expression or the tone of our voice. Let's move out of the virtual and into real life. How can you show up in person, flesh and blood, 
Lagos in the lives of your friends, your family, people you know online. Let's pray. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we'd be a place, we'd be a people who are all about real life. God, that social media and the phone are, can be great blessings, but I pray that our online life would show the Lordship that, we, that you have of all of our lives. I pray, God, that just for, even for me, that this week that I wouldn't be checking scores, even today with all the games going on, that I would be focused on my son, Dex, and my daughter, Ivy. I'd be the dad you'd called me to be. And I pray that for everybody in this room, Jesus. God, that, that the real, the real love, the real deep things of God and the real deep things of this life are the people in front of us, not the contacts in our phone. God, I pray in Jesus' name that you move us from the virtual into the real. God, that for those in this place who are struggling with envy and jealousy and rage as they scroll, God, I pray that you would turn our hearts to pray for, to bless, to think positively about those. God, that, that Facebook doesn't change us. You do. So God, change our hearts, draw us nearer to you and draw us nearer to the world that so desperately needs you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and close with this song. Song to Christ. Give me faith to trust what you say. Give me faith. And so we want to ask for more faith in our lives, more faith in the God who invented technology, more faith in the God who oversees everything, not just our online life, but our real life. Let's stand and sing to the King of Kings together.